Good morning, Georgetown Christian. It's so great to be gathered together as the church in this building. Uh, Most of you know my name is Chris Tanner. I'm the teaching pastor at Georgetown Christian. And if you're a guest, welcome. We know most of our guests join us first online. So hey to those of you joining us online. We look forward to seeing you when you come check us out in person. Hey, have you guys ever done something that you immediately regret, that you just wish you could take back, that the words that you said to your loved one maybe, that as you see the look come across the face, you realize it was out loud, and you're thinking, oh, want to get those back. Like earlier this week, I was cutting my hair. Um, you guys may appreciate the beautiful hairdo I have. And uh, I'd taken the guard off to like clean it off or something and forgot to put it back on. Oh, it's really hard to uncut your hair, isn't it? It's very challenging. Uh, the same is true. You, you guys have had kids or have kids currently, and why does milk always wind up in the car? Like, the phrase crying over spilled milk is, I am confident, from a toddler who spilled milk in a car in June. I'm pretty sure that's where it came from, because it is a special kind of a stink that is just very challenging to get out. It's really hard to untattoo your girlfriend's face from your arm after you break up, right? Now, some of you guys may have done this, the girlfriend's name, or maybe the face, or whatever it is, and I hear you can go get corrections, but even, like, putting horns on her face doesn't undo it, does it? Like, her face is still there, and your next girlfriend's like, what is going on, right? And you're like, you're going over here, baby. That's a little weird for me. Okay, some of you may love that, but it's, for me, a thing I don't do. Uh, It's hard to unwreck your car. It's hard to unburn the meat. It's really hard to unsay things that we've said, Uh, but there's good news. We can fix our mess-ups. We may not be able to stem the natural consequences like the stinky milk and the words that have already damaged the people's hearts and lives, Um, but there's good news that we can, we can stem the tide of the mess-ups and the screw-ups that we see in Scripture are called sin. We can fix those things. Even though Adam and Eve started this whole sin problem in Genesis chapter 3, eating from the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, and we live now under this curse of sin, be it for childbirth, be it for labor, Jesus has started to roll back some of the effects of that sin, and we're going to talk about that today. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, the reason I talk about Genesis 3, the reason I talk about mess-ups, the reason uh, uh, we talk about sin today is because we're in Matthew, the first gospel, and it is, it is becoming to me, as I go through Matthew to prepare a message uh, each time I get to preach, it is becoming so abundantly clear that this message, this, this gospel was to specifically Jewish people. Sometimes even so, I've actually found in my manuscript where I changed the word people to Jew, uh, and that's not what scripture said. But we can see right here that John the baptizer is coming into this desert region of Judea, Jerusalem area, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, if you're new to Bibles, you open it halfway, and then your chunk on the right, open it halfway. You should be like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, somewhere in there. And we're going to be in Matthew with the big three, okay? So Matthew chapter 3. After I pray, I want to read uh, the first 10 verses. Uh, I'll read it to you, and you can follow along in your scripture or on the screen. There are scriptures under some of the seats, and they are the same version I'm reading from the NIV. Um, Okay, I'm saying all of that to say uh, the sin problem that started in Genesis 3, it was what we've followed sin all the way through the Old Testament, We can see every time in the Old Testament that Israel messes up, right? Israel sins. Israel strays from God. And if you're anything like me, you tend to think of Israel as these morons that can't get it right. But what if we shifted our perspective, which I want to do this morning, 
with the help of our scriptures. So we are, we are examining Matthew chapter 3, and we're using the lens of scripture to see scripture because we believe scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. We find these Israelites in a time of roughly 400 years where they have heard from no prophets, and they're used to hearing from prophets, right? They either had a leader like Moses or later on they had a prophet, right? But for 400 years they've heard nothing, and now this guy comes in the desert quoting the prophet, or some Jews would call him the great prophet, Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah. We'll explore a little more of that next week, maybe the week following, um, specifically how he uses Isaiah here. But today we want to look at this word repent, and the reason that John the baptizer is giving this to these people surrounding Judea and Jerusalem is because they have that, we don't have this, okay? We, we have a different sort of, let's call it a cultural memory, and I think we've talked about this last July. Our cultural memory is really different than these people. These people's cultural memory would have been one of a people who frequently strayed from God, frequently had some, uh, some correcting, let's say, from God, right? Babylon, anyone, right? Deportation, destruction of Jerusalem. These people had a cultural memory that says God always speaks to us through a prophet or he has a leader for us, but now we don't have anything, and man, all we do is keep messing up, right? So they can tend to go one of two ways, that way, where we can tend to keep messing up, or the way that we see John the Baptist say it, which is, oh, well, our father's Abraham. Everything here is fine, right? Okay, let's pray, and then I want to read our first 10, 11 verses there. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your church gathered here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, by only the work that you can do in our hearts this morning, would you speak to us corporately, individually, and in a way that is more powerful than any one of us could do were it our power at work. Father, we give you the glory for your word that we open and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, I will read. You guys can follow along on the screen. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he. Now we're quoting John, right? Matthew's quoting John the Baptist. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Back to narrating what John is like. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw, this is John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, if you've blown up your life, if you've made, him, made a mistake that you just can't undo, you can't correct it, um, you know, you might have something in common with myself. I've done this also. You might have something in common with these people that John is coming to say, repent to, 
now in this area of the Jordan, the region of the Judea, you might have something in common in that we all have a messed up relationship. We all have a messed up life. We all have a sin problem that has infected our heart and leads us astray from God. But John the baptizer, he comes with a solution called repentance. Great big churchy word. If you've been in church for a long time, you're part of the in club, you kind of know what it means already, right? But if you haven't, or maybe you haven't been doing the repenting thing for a while, then we're going to review what the word repent means, what the practice of repentance is like. And I've broken it down into some steps, and we're not going to get all the steps today, but we're going to get one of the steps today. So repentance, though it is a churchy word, we can take it very easily and not complicate it. It means to change your mind and behavior. I don't think we need to study any Greek to understand what that means. You change your mind and behavior. And if you've ever heard a sermon on repentance, I can promise you you've heard this story before. I love this story. It just fits, okay? So there's a guy named Jim, and Jim is gifted a parrot. Have any of you ever gifted or been gifted a parrot? Okay, so it's hard for me to believe this is true, but let's just pretend it is. He's gifted a parrot, and of course, of course you, if you've heard this story, it's the profane parrot. This parrot loves to spew obscenities. And no matter what Jim does, he can play the softest, most classical music. He can read him nursery rhymes. He can soothingly speak to the parrot. The parrot will not stop with the obscenities. He is just a vulgar little bird, right? And so one day, he's really had enough of vulgar parrot, and Mr. Profane Parrot is going way off the handle, and Jim is done, so he grabs the bird, throws him in the freezer, slams the door, and, and after a minute of obscenities, the, the guy, Jim, he starts to think, um, is, that, is that bird dead quiet, or is he just dead dead, right? Because he's in the freezer. And so the, Jim's curiosity gets the best of him. He opens the door, and the parrot carefully steps out onto Jim's arms and says, Mr. Jim, I am very sorry for the sins I have committed against you. Please forgive me. And Jim is dumbfounded, right? He's expecting obscenities, and he gets apologies. And Jim, before he can even say, the parrot says, what did the turkey do? Right? So if you guys haven't heard that one before, you can see why I think that's such a great picture of the word repentance. Big churchy word really means to change our mind, heart, and behavior. Seed of emotions is, is what uh, the scholars will tell you that this Greek word means. So I just say mind, you could say heart. It means that we change the way that we think and the way that we act. Okay, so that's repentance. Um, let's get past our Jim here. I think Jim and his parrot, the profane, are really helpful for helping us understand the word repent. But I also think that scripture is just as, if not more so helpful, because it's a story of a life that is lived like yours and like mine. We all live a life. These people in Scripture live a life, and we know that it's true. So let's examine some Scripture to decide what it is that repentance might look like. And I'm going to be kind of summarizing from 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, if you guys want to turn there, you can see if I'm summarizing correctly. Repentance is the change of mind and action. Now, repentance could be brought about a number of ways, three of which I'm aware of so far is like near death, like our parrot, also in scripture like the thief on the cross, right? Near death, time to repent, okay? The, the, uh, the fact that life is ending has brought me to a reflective time whereupon I have now seen that my heart is broken and I need a savior, right? So near death, uh, another way that we could have it is just like reflection upon our own life by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. 
And then a third one would be like a friend coming into our life and saying, hey, I've noticed this behavior habit in your life. Is, am I seeing this right? So those are three different ways I think that, that we could be called to repentance. But if you're like me, you mess up on a daily basis, right? I mess up on a daily basis, whether it be like as a, um, a husband or as a dad, um, Micah just called me out like two days ago, and I had to apologize, right? Or as a friend, or as a leader, or as a brother, or as a son. If you're anything like me, and you're people, so I like to think maybe you are, uh, you mess up on a daily basis. You sin on a daily basis in some way or another, but we are not without hope, which is why we are here. We believe we have hope, right? In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have hope, but we also have hope to understand what repentance means. So we're in Samuel because Scripture's full of mess-ups, and this one's a rather, rather, rather large mess-up. This is a mess-up on the, the big screen, big stage. Uh, we're going to see at least the first step of repentance is like recognizing that there was some wrong in our life, right? So King David is home while um, not the whole, but most of the army of Israel is away at war, uh, the king's men are with the army, and King David is not with them. King David is on the roof, um, as kings were to do, I suppose. Uh, but really, culturally, if we could just understand for a second, when Bathsheba is bathing on the roof, that's normal. That's where their bathtub was. So she's bathing on the roof. King David sees her and decides that he really does like what he sees and sees he's king. Well, then he should have everything that he wants, right? So he sends for Bathsheba to be brought to him, and then it turns like really rated R in C-17, right? Like, ta-da, Bathsheba's pregnant, okay? So if you don't know how that works, talk to mom and dad, and they would love to talk to you about that today. Um, <clears throat> or maybe it's time to call grandma and grandpa, you know? You might want to call them today. Um, so, so you guys all know how this story goes. I'll continue summarizing, but before I do, I would like to ask you to join me in this perspective shift where... We're going to maybe not be in the judgment seat during this uh, summarizing, recitation, exploration of Scripture, but we're actually going to slip on David's sandals. Okay, now just join me. Let's all be a murderer for a second. Um, not go out there and actively murder, but just read the story as though we are David. Okay, maybe Scripture could be a mirror and not a club for us to beat other people who hey, have that sin problem, right? So let's get out of the judgment seat, slip on David's sandals, hear the rest of the story. Um, David then, uh, after um, he has her come to his palace, uh, sends her back home and finds out she's pregnant, right? And so David's thinking, ugh, there's like a ton of evidence uh, that I was up to no good here. So let's call Bathsheba's husband back, Uriah. Let's call him back from the war. And so David has him into the king's palace, and man, here's the king's wine, and here's the king's steak, and here's the king's lamb chops. Like, let's get Uriah home with his wife, right? We can cover this up. It'll all be okay. We'll just have Uriah back. But Uriah's like a really honorable soldier, and he won't go sleep at home. He sleeps on a mat outside the palace, right? He just, he won't go home. So David's first plan is not working out like he planned. I'm sure that none of you have ever done this before. But then uh, David decides, I'm really going to go ahead and finish off my plan. He calls in the commander of the army, says, hey, put Uriah up front, Bathsheba's husband. Put him up front in the heat of the battle and then kind of have the army sort of step away and let those arrows from the wall come down on him and let him die, right? So effectively has the guy murdered, right? So he impregnates the wife and then he creates a widow out of her by murdering the guy that was her husband. And and I've done this, right? I mean, you've done this. 
I mean, you've probably not had, like, impregnated someone then murdered their husband or anything like that. No one's really ready to admit that today. I get that. But you guys have done this same basic thing. We're going to keep David's sandals on, okay? We're going to keep them on, all right? Because David has tried to cover up his sin, right? Instead of taking the first step of repentance and saying, I recognize some wrong in my life. I recognize some sin, some problem, some separation from God, some actively pursuing things that damage the kingdom of God. But then we've covered it up, right? Now, I'm not saying that any of you guys went and murdered anybody, and I sure didn't, right? I'm not saying that any of you guys went and committed adultery, but I am saying that we all have this same sin problem. And then we all sometimes, instead of taking the first step of repentance, will try to cover it up, won't we? When I read this account of David, it's really difficult for me to stay in David's sandals. That's why I think it was important for us to pause and try those on. We're going to stay in them just for a second. Before I do, I want to read from John. This is the beloved disciple John. First uh, John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, which is what we do when we want to cover it up and ignore it and act like it's not there. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and then the truth is not in us. So Georgetown Christian Church exists to bring everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, and we can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ if we're trying to cover and hide our own sin. What's the very first thing that Adam and Eve did whenever they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You guys remember Genesis 3? Immediately, because of sin, their first response was to hide and even to cover themselves, wasn't it? So it's kind of a natural response to sin for us to want to do that, but we have a Savior that calls us to a new kind of life, a kind of life where we're fully devoted followers. So David, I think, struggles in the same way that you might struggle, that I certainly do struggle, when God's prophet confronts him with his sin. So now I'm in, I'm in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, and I want you guys to decide if you think, is David repentant yet? Rise again. So, so Nathan is the prophet of God, and he, he comes to David. God sends him to David, and, and Nathan tells him a story, right? Just like we have a parrot story to help us understand. Nathan now tells a story to help David understand something. So Nathan starts the story. Hey, there's this rich guy. He's got tons of lamb, tons of sheep, right? He's loaded, big, big time riches. Probably has a different sports camel for every day of the week, right? In every color of camel. He is a loaded guy, okay? So he's got lots of lambs. And then there is a not so rich guy, uh, Nathan actually calls him poor. This guy has one baby ewe lamb, one lamb. And then Nathan goes on to describe the life of this little lamb. He says this lamb grew up with his children. And I still have kids in my house. It's a super precious time of life that I know is fleeting. So many of you have told me it goes quick. Just keep telling me, okay? I, wanna, I want to try to live in the present. This guy has this little ewe lamb grow with his children. Nathan says, the scripture says, that he ate from his plate. You can imagine this little lamb underfoot while you're preparing dinner, right? He drank from his cup. He fell asleep in his arms. Have you ever had a child or a puppy fall asleep in your arms? Super precious, right? Or a baby fall asleep in your arms, right? It's super precious. Your heart becomes attached. Then Nathan goes 
for the heart of David. He says, it was like a daughter to him. How many of you have had a daughter, right? Like you get a daughter and I've got sons and they're amazing. I love Micah and Noah. They're very incredible people, but it's just different to have a daughter. Am I right, Brad? Is it different? Precious baby girls. They're so precious. Like you want to have the shirt that says like proud tennis dad, cheer dad, dance dad, whatever. Like suddenly we're all wearing shirts to tell everybody we have a daughter, right? Nathan says he, this lamb was like a daughter to this poor man. And so the rich man has, and he's still telling David the story. And just to remember where we are, we're understanding Matthew 3 by looking at 1 Samuel 11 and 12 because scripture interprets scripture. So, so Nathan then says, all right, so then a traveler comes to the rich man and he stays, he stays there with the rich man and the rich man says, man, I gotta have some dinner for the, the traveler. And so, I mean, rack of lamb, right? Let's have a great dinner. He's got plenty of lambs. But Nathan says he goes and he gets the poor man's lamb like a daughter lamb. We have a t-shirt with this lamb's picture on it, right? Like this is a very precious lamb to us. And then how does, how does David respond? And we're still wearing David's sandals, right? How does David respond? He says in uh, 1 Samuel 12, 5 and 6, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Sometime our sin needs called out, doesn't it? Sometime our sin has to be named. Maybe you have a really great friend like Nathan who can just tell you a story, and eventually you just kind of start to get it. Maybe you need somebody like John the Baptizer to come along. Maybe you need someone who is speaking your language. He is using Isaiah. He is quoting from the scriptures of the Jews. He is quoting from the great prophet, right? Maybe you need someone to come along who speaks your language, who knows how you live and operate to say, is this, is this what I think it is? Are you seeing, are you observing what I'm observing in your life? But it's not always easy to see that ourselves, is it? Sometimes we might need that help. Maybe we need to get thrown in the freezer. Maybe get hung on a cross. I don't know. Maybe you need to have a near-death experience to have that time of reflection. Maybe you just need to sit quietly and allow the Holy Spirit to say, I see some things in your life that are not in line with being a fully devoted follower of Christ. I asked this question on Facebook this week. I said, when you think about the biggest mess-ups, like in film or life or scripture, who or what are those biggest mess-ups? And, and I had some responses um, I can understand how some people might not want to respond on a public forum, but I had some responses like um, Apollo 13 or Titanic. Those were big, right? Those were large mess-ups. Al Bundy, um, and then I had UFL on there. Um, and we'll just throw in there, of course, like Indiana and Kentucky and Purdue, and everybody's team is always messed up at some point, right? They're always big mess-ups, and I just love to talk about that, even though Indiana won this week. Congratulations. But what I did not notice, what I did not see any of, and I'll admit I did not post myself, I did not see anyone say, oh, let me tell you about the time that I messed up. Nobody really wants to talk about that, do they? Especially not in a public forum, right? There's some self-preservation, and I totally get that, so I don't blame anyone. I myself didn't do it either. So we are just prone as people to not want to see our own sin, but to want to just cover it up. And if Genesis tells us anything, if Israel's whole history tells us anything, if this account of David where his friend Nathan, the prophet of God, has to 
come in and tell him a story to get into his mind and heart, I think that we can admit that as humans, we are struck with this issue where we have this tendency to not really want to see our sin. We just kind of want to ignore it or cover it up if we happen to start to see its ugly head peek through. But continuing to cover it up allows death to live on in our lives. It allows us to continue to live to death but an entirely opposite way that Christ wants us to live. I think it's important that we notice that not only did John the baptizer's ministry start by saying the word repent, remember big church word for change mind, change action. Also Jesus' ministry in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark begins with the same word, repent. And then when Jesus sends out his apostles, guess what they're to tell people? repent. Now, I've got, this is not a curveball, and you're all going to not be shocked, but guess what? When the church starts, when we are the church, when we started in Acts on the day of Pentecost, what did Peter call everyone to do? Say it with me. Repent, right? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The very genesis of the church is built on what we're talking about today, repentance. And oddly enough, it's the one thing that we just don't want to do. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to look at it. We want to cover it up. We want to hide from it. Jesus knew about our proclivity for this sort of behavior. He knows we're inclined to never really take the first step to say, I see some wrongdoing in my life. In Matthew 7, he speaks to this. In chapter 7, verse 3, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, we all fail. See, now I'm not just assuming you're like me. I'm now saying Jesus said it, right? So we can no longer argue about this. Jesus knows that we're all this way. He knows that we frequently sin, and that we fail to see ourselves like we are often and frequently. We have a sin problem. The first step to ad addressing our sin problem is to recognize that there's wrongdoing in our life. So to be a Christian, you have to recognize there's wrongdoing in your life, right? You have to say there's sin in my life. To remain a Christian, to remain faithful to Christ, you have to, in an ongoing manner, recognize frequently, regularly, that there's sin in my life, and we have to be honest about the sin. Otherwise, we're like John said, there's no truth in us. So we can do it a couple of ways. We can have that near-death experience. I'm not a fan. No, thank you. Been there, done that. Not advised. We can also be reflective of our own hearts, right? The Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, According to John, Jesus' teaching, he's about to leave his apostles. He's teaching before the ascension, and he says, when he comes, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, now the NIV says, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And the ESV says, he will convict the world of sin. So one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to help us, because we clearly have a problem with this, is to help each of us to recognize the sin in our lives and then to convict us of that sin. And then the first step is to say, I acknowledge that it's wrong. 
Okay, a second way is we can have a brother or sister come alongside us and call us to repentance. Like, maybe we need a Nathan sometimes, right? Paul writes this to the Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, because sin is a, like a trap, right? We have it and then we want to hide it. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So the first step to repentance is recognizing our own wrongdoing. If we do not recognize our sin, then we are what Solomon calls in Proverbs, stiff-necked people. How many times in the Old Testament were the Israelites called the stiff-necked people, right? So let's remember, Scripture can be a mirror, not just a club, and see ourselves as David, see ourselves as Israel, see ourselves as the one that has the sin problem that wants to hide it, and as long as we're doing this, as long as we're seeing that we do have the sin problem, and we're identifying that, taking that first step towards repentance, saying, there is wrong and there is sin in my life, then we are becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And as fully devoted followers of Christ, we can share the hope that we have in Christ because of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension now to be not just overcome, not just cleansed of sin, but overcomers of sin, even conquerors. We get to share in his victory. We get to share. He says we share his victory. We get to conquer sin. We get to be dead entirely to sin. But if we continue to, to not take that first step, to just, let's just bring back our husband and murder him and everything will be fine, right? It sounds absurd to say that, doesn't it? But what if the truth is that as long as we continue to cover our own sin, to hide our own sin, and to say, I'll just ignore this, then that means that the hope that we have of being living new lives in Christ is not able to be shared with us with any of our community, with any of our loved ones, with any of our friends, with any people who are apart from Christ, because John says, the truth is not in us. You can't share what you don't have. It's critical, Georgetown Christian, for us to acknowledge that we have to take the first step. We have to take the first step towards repentance and say, there's wrong in my life. If you would bow your heads, I'm just going to rehearse a few of these scripture mess-ups because it's full of the big mess-ups. Imagine your mess-up being so big that it's written down in the inspired word of God. Abraham twice lied about his wife being his sister and gave her away. Jonah ran from God. Supposed to be a missionary, ran away. Moses murdered an Egyptian and hid the body. And of course, we talked about David, who made a widow and took her as his own wife. But God gives each of us the same opportunity he gave each of them. An opportunity to take a step towards repentance by identifying wrong or sin in our own lives. He provides each of us a measure of his Holy Spirit, not only to convict us of sin, but to enable us to live a life by his Holy Spirit, a life free from sin, a life that shares in Jesus' victory over sin. God has provided this way for us. If you've not accepted Christ as a first step towards becoming right with God, then uh, during, during and after our song time, you can remain seated and decision guides will come alongside you and help you make a decision for the first time to say, I need Christ in my life. I can't hide my sin any longer. I need his righteousness to be mine. I need God to see me 
and see me as he sees Jesus, as righteous. Maybe you're a, a Christian who's just recovering from a life of ignoring the sin and thinking that it was always someone else's problem. Our decision guides are ready to talk with you about that too. Maybe you're going to wait and talk with your life group. Maybe you're going to share in an elective that life hasn't been going right. Maybe you have a friend from men's or women's Bible study or youth group and you want to say, my life has been going the wrong direction. And I'm talking to you today because I want the truth of Christ in my life and my heart again. Whatever it is, I would ask that you would talk to God right now. Father, as we begin to sing these true words about you and about our hearts and lives, I pray that you would continue working in each of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word at work, washing our hearts and lives to make this bride, this church, just like Jesus. That we could be holy and without blemish. That when you return, you would be proud to call us yours. I pray this in Jesus' name.